From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, a tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you and a blessed Advent to each and every one of you. I know a lot of us are wrapped up in getting ready for Sunday, but it's still Advent and we've got a rare blessing this year of having a full fourth week of Advent, so I hope that you are making the most of it. Um, I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall is producing the program. Your call screener is Matt. Your call screener is not Matt Gubensky. It is Ace McKay, celebrity call screener Ace McKay, and Michael McCall doubling up on our social media efforts. Is that right? Huh? Also Ace. Okay, so Ace is pulling double duty. So Mr. McCall is just back there with his feet up behind the glass doing virtually nothing. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985 you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com and our host as he is every Thursday coming to us live from the city of angels father Brian Milady how are you just great. Happy Advent. Happy yeah. Advent to everyone. So, um, time. We're trapped by it. Yes. God, not so much, though, right? Well, we also make use of it. Um, I wanted to talk about time before Christmas um, on two levels. As you know, the scriptures tell us in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those of us who are under the law and make us adopted children so that we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, that time, of course, has to do with the time between the Old and New Testaments. And there's a quite a long meditation in St. Thomas on this. Uh, why, he asks, for example, didn't God redeem the human race as soon as the sin was committed? And he says, well, because people wouldn't have thought they needed a redeemer. They were so <laughs> caught up in their own egotism. So they had to be convinced of this. So you remember he promises it in the so-called Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15. Why didn't God wait further, longer? Well, St. Thomas says, because then the human race would have despaired completely when they saw just how egotistical and destructive we are. So he chose exactly the right moment. And in fact, in the ancient world, at least in Christ's time, there were all kinds of interesting movements around his time of coming, like the whole idea of baptism was practiced by Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls community, and the Greek mystery cults were beginning, which were, yes, true, based in pagan gods. But many of them had... Um, 
you know, ablutions washing where they had the idea that there was something really wrong with the human race. And it was a symbol that they wanted to free themselves from it. So on that level, God chose exactly the right time. Now, of course, we can't prove this. It's not a proof. But it's an attempt to try to discover why he chose to be born in the time he was born and in the place where he was born. And the idea is it was very fitting to his mission that he would come to earth to redeem us. Now, also, the Benedict XVI, Karl Ratzinger, has a long meditation on why we're celebrating this coming forth of Christ on December 25th. The classic explanation I was always taught is that it's near the winter solstice. So you have the longest night of the year and the shortest day of the year. And so since Christ is the light of God bursting into the darkness of our egotism and lack of faith and all these things, that uh, we celebrate the feast then. But actually, according to the Cardinal, it goes back to the month of Nisan, which would be in March, because the Jews looked on that as the time of the creation of the world. And if you recall, this was when Mary, on March 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation, actually incarnated Christ in her body. So you have March the 25th, and then she's told as a miracle, which is a sign to encourage her faith by the angel, that your cousin Elizabeth has become pregnant and she's in her sixth month. So Mary, we've just been reading about this in the mass readings, goes to midwife the birth of John the Baptist, which of course is around June the 25th, which is the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. And so nature in a sense testifies and they light lots of fires on the night of John the Baptist's birth to the fact that he's actually coming into the world who prepares the way for Christ. And then, of course, nine months after March the 25th, you have December the 25th, where we celebrate Christ coming forth from the womb so that he can evangelize the world. So there's a sense in which nature and human history and even our doctrine all sort of mesh together in liturgical time. And you remember the liturgical times of the eternal today. So the antiphon for Christmas is Hodie Christus Natus Est. Today Christ is born. Today the angels sang. Because every day reflecting the eternity of God uh, reflects some aspect of the mystery. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. The lines are now open. I understand a moment ago they were not open. So if you tried to call and it went straight to a voicemail for you, give us a call back now and we will get you lined up to be on the air with Father Brian Milady. Got an interesting item here from EWTN's religious catalog, the Madonna in Child Framed Art. It's uh, This piece is new to EWTN, and it's perfect for your home or office. It's a reproduction of a vintage painting entitled Madonna and Child by Charles Chambers. 
and it's framed in a classic fluted black walnut frame with a gold leaf, with a gold interior lip, and under the glass with a velvet easel. Um, the the gold leaf is under the glass, and it has a velvet easel um, and a hook for hanging as well. It is 10 inches wide by 12 inches high, and it's made right here in the United States. It's available at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Um, we've got an email here, Father, from Charlie, and he said, Are the four last things a doctrine in itself or a catechetical formula? Well, I would say the four last things are a doctrine in itself in the sense that they're all absolutely true. And they all reflect something which um, is treated in Scripture. And uh, though we catechetically teach about it, it, it isn't just a catechetical device. It reflects the Holy Scriptures and, you know, what the Holy Scriptures teach us about the the ends of our own lives and the end of the world. Got an interesting question here from Chris who wants to know, and I know some people get a little confused by the whole canonization process. And Chris wants to know, how would I address Fulton Sheen if I were to say a prayer asking for his intercession? Well, <laughs> I would address him as bishop at the moment, <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, because that's what he really is, you know. And um, he's not been canonized yet, although hopefully he will be, because he was such a marvelous man and his teachings were so important. I, I wouldn't uh, get too upset about what title I used. What I would be upset about is how uh, long this canonization process is going to take and trying to remove some of the obstacles that have been placed in it almost unnaturally about things that don't mean anything when it comes to sainthood. So uh, so Father often, Brian Milady says, full sheen ahead. Full sheen ahead, exactly. <laughs> or, as, or as a woman I knew once in Berkeley, apparently Bishop Sheen used to hang out when he's had his downtime at this uh, place in Berkeley, uh, the home, and the guy was an undertaker. And when he came to pick her up at school one day, the nun was bored, and she used to, be, she used to call him Uncle Fulty. That's what she always told him to call him. <laughs> it's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. Wishing you a holy Christmas and a happy new year from all of us at EWTN Radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. to the phones we go. First up today is Barb in the great state of Minnesota. She's listening to EWTN on Sirius XM Channel 130. Barb, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian. Hi. Thank you, Jack. Hi, Father. Hi. Are you blizzarded in there? I heard. 
not long ago, someone say that you can offer up your own suffering for your own purgation, which seemed a little unusual to me. I've always thought of offering up for others. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, you have your own sins you need, you know, you have your own things that you need to resolve, too. So let's say uh, you're dying of cancer um, and you're suffering greatly. You can offer those sufferings up for your sins as well. What's left over from them, which you remember, you can do your purgatory on Earth. Not you don't have to wait till after death if you're amenable to it. So if you apply the um, sufferings you've experienced to your own weaknesses, it can prepare you much more quickly for heaven. But you can also do that for others, too. Does that help, Barb? Yes, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for the phone call. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's a free phone call. Pick up the phone and give us a jingle. Next up is Denise. She is in Billings, Montana, uh, listening on Billings Catholic Radio. Um, Denise, how cold is it in Billings? Uh, Right now it's at minus 5, and I think the wind chill is minus 22, something like that. Oh, my goodness. I tell you, here in Birmingham, Alabama, of all places, we are going to get into possibly the single digits tomorrow night. And wow. Pe- Welcome are, to our world. Yeah, exactly. And in, Los, and in Los Angeles, it may be 80 on Christmas. Yeah, so. thanks, Father. You can stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Denise. You're on with Father Milady. Thank Hi. you. Um, Father, I, I, I think it's kind of a simple question, but I've been reflecting on both the, the uh, Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke on the birth of Jesus. And today when I was reading um, reading over them again, in, in one gospel reading they talk about that the, shepherd, or the shepherds come to visit him, and then um, they go, after the purification, they go into Jerusalem and present him at the temple. The other one, or maybe I'm getting him confused, but then the other one, they are visited by the Magi, and then they flee into Egypt, and it says that when the angel departed them, Joseph had a dream and went into Egypt, took the Holy Family to Egypt. But it doesn't say where they departed from. So in combining the two Gospels and trying to figure it out, did they depart from Bethlehem, or did they depart from Jerusalem, where he's well, presented at the temple? I don't, I don't think that's a simple question. <laughs> I thought it was Bethlehem myself always. But you've you got to remember that Luke and Matthew have two different purposes. So Matthew is for the Jewish mission. And as a result, when especially when it comes to the infancy narratives uh, of Christ's childhood, um, the Jews did not accept the testimony of women. So he writes it from Joseph's point of view. Luke, on the other hand, was writing for the Gentiles, and they accepted the testimony of women. So Mary's point of view is presented more in the gospel according to St. Luke. And it's very possible that all those things happened, but I wouldn't know where they started out from. I, I just assumed it was Bethlehem, but it could have been Jerusalem too, or they could have even been on the way. 
You remember they were told, however, when Herod died to return to Nazareth, where they were from to begin with. So I don't think anyone has any strong opinions one way or the other about where they started out to go to Egypt. How's that, Denise? <laughs> That's good. I was just curious, but I, I'm glad to know the different perspectives because that, that helps to wrap it up in my head. Yes, it helps to understand them better, yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking yeah. speaking of wrapping up your head, I suggest you do so if you're going outside in Billings, Montana, Denise. <laughs> I, I actually am in my car going to the store right now. Oh, so my I goodness. I am very bundled up. <laughs> well, be safe out there and have a Merry Christmas in Billings, Montana. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in the uh, in North America, 833-288-3986. Next up is Lisa in the great state of South Carolina listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lisa, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Good afternoon, Father. Um, Good afternoon. I'm calling because I'm calling because the prior caller had um, mentioned about offering up prayers for herself and for others. Um, I'm Catholic, and I never really fully understood the concept of offering up our suffering. Could you please enlighten me so that when people ask me, I can give them an intelligent answer? Uh, Yes. Well, as you know, uh, each of us has eternal punishment for our sins, but we also have temporal punishment. So the eternal punishment is forgiven in confession for mortal sins. But the temporal punishment still remains. So that has to be satisfied for too. So for instance, if I had a friend that had a beautiful dress, if I were a woman and I had a friend who had a beautiful dress and um, I got very angry with her one day and I took scissors and cut up the dress out of spite, then I'm filled with instant remorse and I beg my friend's forgiveness. And my friend's a particularly forgiving person so she forgives me. Well, okay, we're fine at one point of view, but there are two things that still remain to be addressed. And that is the anger that led me to do such a terrible thing to someone whom I supposedly love. And the dress is sitting there all cut up. So the idea of offering it up has to do with, let's say I decide to replace the dress, it would cost me some money, I'd have to suffer that. And even more difficult is the famous suffering to your own conscience, where you're trying to um, lead a virtuous life in the face of your still weakness. So that also, let's say I had to suffer humiliation and I did this in silence, that also can be an attempt to cure this situation by changing the way I react to things. And that can be very painful too. So we can do this either for ourselves or through the union of charity. There are many people who haven't had their purgatory on earth. They've waited till after death. And the difference is that before we die, we can do positive acts to carry out our purgation. Like I could buy another dress. After we die, we can't do that. It's all passive. 
So we can aid them through our acts, our positive acts, so that they can speed up, you could say. I mean, these are obviously analogies, but they can speed up their process of inner conversion. And the soul after death is satisfied when God is satisfied when the soul is satisfied because they're trying to prepare themselves to meet the Lord. And who would want to meet the Lord with some of this nastiness that we still have that we worked on others while on earth? Instead, we want that to be resolved and our suffering in the face of it is something that is important for that. And people's aid to us can be very helpful. How's that, Lisa? Fantastic. Thank you so much. I have a better understanding now. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you so much for the phone call. Have a Merry Christmas. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Catherine writes in with an interesting question. Should a grandparent treat an adult grandchild who has left the Catholic faith the same as those other grandchildren who are practicing their Catholic faith, for instance, with birthday cards and money, etc. Oh, yeah, I would say yes. I mean, the person should know at least how you think about it, what you feel about it. And you can, I'm sure if you've expressed yourself ever to them, they know you don't approve. But, they, you know, on the level of nature, they're still your grandchildren. And I assume that you love them all. And as a result, you need to um, demonstrate that for all according to what they need. Yeah. Oops. Go ahead. You know, we have Father Wade Menezes, your cohort on uh, Open Line Tuesday, who who frequently frequently will talk about the, the three elements of fraternal correction being that it should be done privately charitably and rarely which he got for me by the way <laughs> which i got for my own novice master <laughs> it just keeps it's self-perpetuating that's right <laughs> but uh, we don't we don't always do a good job with that last one do we no and and there are times and places for fraternal correction and even in my own particular community where i live now i've recently experienced someone trying to correct me at what I would consider to be an inappropriate time and probably in an appropriate way too. Young people today seem to only be able to correct you by text message, which is <laughs> very, very, very impersonal. And then if they won't, if they can't do that, um, well, we have a person who corrects you during recreation or during dinner with everybody else present. That's, that's not the time or the place, you know, um, it has to be done, and, and as you say, it has to be done rarely. If everything you're doing, you're doing wrong, the person who thinks that is thinking, he's, he's trying to find things to be scandalized at. And um, some people just need to mind their own business. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call. Anywhere in North America. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Wyatt in West Virginia, Steve in the great state of Maryland, and we would love to talk to you as well. Just pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. 
That's 833-288-3986. And if you're outside the United States and Canada, we've also got a number for you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Dominican Father Brian Milady. Wishing you a holy Christmas and a happy new year from all of us at EWTN Radio. I have to admit that's better than the dance of the sugar plum fairies that we had. Although I saw, it, <laughs> although I did see Father Milady dancing a little bit to the dance of the sugar plum fairies. I Tchaikovsky. Wow. <laughs> uh, back to the phones we go. Next up is Wyatt in the great state of West Virginia, listening on Light of Life Radio. Wyatt, you're on with Father Brian. Hey, hello. I just wanted to ask. I've heard that Catholics believe that Mary is without sin, and I would just like another person's opinion on this. Uh, yes, she is without sin. <laughs> uh, How because, is that possible, Father? Well, because she was to be the mother of God. God chose her from all eternity that she would be a vessel of grace. And... So the Immaculate Conception Doctrine is that he did not allow any of the original sin to touch her. Now, of course, it was a difficulty when it was defined because the theological difficulty had always been that Mary has to be among the redeemed. She can't be separated from Christ's redemption. So the issue was, well, if she's not redeemed, if she doesn't have any sin, what is she being redeemed from? Well, Scotus provided the answer that in light of her participation in Christ's passion, that God kept original sin from touching her. And then the tradition is that she never experienced any mortal sin and she never experienced venial sin even because God bridled this miraculously in her. She was capable of it until the Annunciation. And once she conceived Christ in her flesh, she was so full of grace, as the angel says, hail full of grace. He calls it by a new heavenly name, and it is Kakaratomene. It is full of grace, not highly favored daughter, like some translations of scripture have. But this is a unique grace to Mary, in which she would never commit any sin, either actual or original. So we have this anaphon we sing, Tota Pulchra S. Maria, you are all beautiful, O Mary, because original sin is not in you. And the original council of Ephesus, where her role is defined, the most ancient of the Marian antiphons is subtuum, we fly to your patronage. And it's the first time Sancta Dei Genitrix, holy begotten mother, you know, mother of, the, of Christ, um, is used, which is the same as the God-bearer, the Theotokos in Greek. So, uh, yes, she was kept uh, holy, a vessel of love. And that's what it means to be without sin. For some strange reason, 
uh, people think that sin is human, and it is not. <laughs> sin is inhuman. It's a lack of reason. It's a lack of the reason God made the soul. It keeps you, if it's mortal sin, from going to heaven, which is the reason God made the soul, too, and the body. And so uh, to say that she should be able to commit sin or capable of sin is not to give her any honor or basically say that uh, she's more human. In fact, she's more human because she has not committed sin. God bless you, Wyatt. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Steve is in the great state of Maryland, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Steve, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hey, Father. Um, I'd like to talk to you about, it's, it, when I was a kid growing up with the nuns at St. Bernard's, it, the Catholic faith seemed to be so black and white. Everybody knew what was right and what was wrong and what was Catholic and what is not. I, raise, I have three children now that I'm trying to raise Catholic. I don't see how anybody who wasn't given the, the value of the education that I was, I don't see how anybody could know what the Catholic faith is anymore. And I just wanted to know why that is and is there any way that could be a good thing? Uh, well, I would say the last question, no, it's not a good thing. Uh, you think you're confused? Um, the reason they authorized that catechism in the Catholic Church in 1986 was when the bishops, they had a synod in Rome, and they said, we don't even know what the faith teaches anymore. <laughs> We're confused, too. So could we please have a clear statement of what it is we believe? And interestingly enough, uh, John Paul II and Benedict said that, you know, the trouble is all the heresies have all broken on at once now, whereas before it was only one area of the faith that had difficulty heretically. I think the only positive thing you could see in this is perhaps people before the council were too confident that we'd solved all the mysteries and solved all the problems and we wouldn't have to suffer as a church anymore. Well, that's just unrealistic. And um, we presented that image, but as you know, uh, it certainly wasn't true during the Napoleonic Wars or in the 18th century. Lots of people fell away from the church. Then they used to stable their horses in the churches in Europe. And Napoleon and uh, all the, the French, they basically, uh, though they were still a Catholic country, interestingly enough, they basically lost the faith, a good bit of them, they're the ones that started the national church where they worship the goddess of reason instead of uh, the, uh, the Trinity. And the church partially went along with it, too, which is weird, weird when you think about it, too. So I think the value of the difficulties we're experiencing in the faith comes, first of all, from the fact that people think truth is relative now and secondly, in trying to hold on to our faith, we have to know more about it, number one. And number two, we can't take it for granted. So if we believe, we believe with a, a pain. Because we don't believe in a society anymore, any society where you're Catholic, more or less just because you're in the society. 
um, Ireland, Italy, all those societies that were Catholic just don't exist that way anymore. Um, now, it could always come back, but um, it's sad to see what's happened to those more traditional societies. Interestingly enough, the church has passed to its theological certainty more to Africa or to places like Vietnam than it has to Europe now. And the United States sort of stands in the middle. We're pretty more faithful in Europe, but maybe not as faithful as other places. But we need to not take this for granted, and we need to make it a, a pledge on our part that will, no matter what the culture presents to us, or even some of the difficulties of trying to explain the faith in the church, that we won't fall away ourselves with God's grace. Thanks, Steve. Have a happy rest of your Advent season and have a very Merry Christmas. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Um, I'd like to give a big hello to another one of our EWTN radio family members celebrating an anniversary this week. Holy Family Radio in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, celebrating 12 years on the air as an EWTN affiliate. Congratulations to Vince Gale and Bob Mulderink and the entire team at Holy Family Radio from us your friends here at EWTN. 833-288-3986 is our toll-free number. Next up is Mike in the great state of Montana. He's listening at EWTN.com. My guess is it's below zero in Montana also. Hello, uh, am I on the air? Yes, you are, Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, it's pretty freezing out here. Uh, I was wondering, is it a sin to have gay sex? Yes, uh, on both levels. Neither unity nor procreation can result from it. And, um, oh yes, very much so. I don't, I don't know why you would think it wouldn't be, um, even if you're supposedly gay married, which we know isn't really marriage. But um, no, uh -uh. The, the people are bound to chastity in the same reason that a way that a person before marriage is bound to chastity. So there's nothing sinful about being gay, but it is sinful if you make acts according to it. And gay sex would certainly be the strongest one. Next up is Patty in Michigan, listening today on Ave Maria Radio. Patty, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi, and thank you very much for taking my call. I have a question uh, regarding whether or not it's permissible to receive communion. In this particular situation, uh, the person has been um, raised Catholic, received all her sacraments, and then left the church for a non-denominational and has even been baptized in that church. If she uh, attends Mass at the Catholic Church, is it permissible for her to receive communion? Uh, I would say only after she's confessed the sin of apostasy. Because if you've been baptized and made a profession of faith in another church, you've committed the sin of apostasy. And so uh, you, she, can, she can certainly come, but as to receiving communion, she needs to uh, make her confession of that sin. 
Thanks, Patty. We appreciate that call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. One open phone line for you at 833-288-3986. Tom wants to know if you can explain the interaction between the soul and the body. (laughs) Well, they're totally substantially joined with each other. And even though they're different powers... They all have an influence on each other. So, uh, for example, uh, strong sorrow in your will causes you to experience weeping in your body. In fact, Jesus, remember, experienced such strong fear and sorrow at the passion that he actually had a physical reaction to it, which was um, he's what blood. Uh, Strong intelligence uh, often distracts you from things that have to do with your emotional life so that you don't uh, perhaps you don't become unfeeling, but it doesn't mean that much to you. And so you have these kind of very intelligent professors who just think and think and think and think and even things like food they don't pay any attention to and that sort of thing. And also... uh, the body is very, you know, if you have depression, for instance, in your soul, it even affects your dystolic and anabolic blood pressure and that sort of thing. So there's an absolute influence between the one and the other. And it's very difficult to think, for instance, if you have a migraine. So uh, the, their interaction is quite deep. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Be sure to include EWTN Radio in your Christmas plans. Again, this year, we bring you the 48 hours of Christmas, uh, all day, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. We have music specials, live masses from around the world, and so much more. The 48 hours of Christmas starts Saturday, Christmas Eve on EWTN Radio. Next up is Matt in Portsmouth, Ohio, listening on St. Gabriel Radio. Matt, you're on the air with Father Brian Malady. Hello, how are you? Good. Uh, you know, I had a couple questions. My my first question was, is I really wanted to know how you felt about, about some of these, what I kind of call feel-good churches, where um, they're really twisting the words of the Bible and they're really twisting God's words around to fit their narrative and how they want to feel. And um, I I just kind of wanted to know how how you felt about that and what can we do to to change that and and, and get it back to where it needs to be? Well, I, I think that it's a very shallow basis on which to found your religious practice. There's nothing wrong with the feelings, but as you know, the feelings are very fleeting. So you can have this intensely emotional experience, and two minutes later, have an intensely emotional experience, which is just the opposite. Um, I do know that there are, especially evangelical churches, I know one in Ohio, I forget it's what it's called, but the minister always says, when I watch it on Trinity Broadcasting, because I'm always curious about various things going on in evangelical Protestantism, that God doesn't want you to be poor. He wants you to be rich. And so he said, actually said this in one of his meetings. 
And so if you're rich, you have to share and your prayer is only as effective as your giving. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I thought, oh my goodness, if a Catholic priest ever said that, the congregation run him out on a rail. Um, but they tend to suggest that these success is a part of what it means to be in grace. Well, there's nothing wrong with being successful, but there's lots of people that are in grace that aren't successful. And Christ has quite a lot of interesting words uh, concerning the poor in the Gospels. And not that they're bad necessarily, and sometimes they're quite engraced. So that's my opinion about that. 833-288-3986. That's our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is Cleveland in Peoria, Illinois, listening on Covenant Radio. Cleveland, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, Father Father Mulaney. Um, I have a, a reference of uh, the definition of sexton and the origin of our language. Is it actually Catholic being universal and translated as such? Uh, yes, Catholic means universal and translated as such. And not only that, but it refers not just to universal in the sense of uh, the fact that we don't exclude different ethnic or whatever groups from our churches, but also universal in the sense that all the truths necessary to get to heaven are taught by the Catholic Church. Thanks, Cleveland. We appreciate the call today. Have a great rest of your Advent. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. Michael is in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, you're on with Father Milady. Well, thank you both, and Merry Christmas to both of you. It's cold in Spokane. We had eleven below zero last night. Yes, and I with, know. With the wind chill, it's about twenty or thirty. Yes. But what we're going to get warmer weather next uh, next week, and spring is slowly coming. Well, my question is on confession, Father. Um, you know, some people are afraid to go to confession. Uh, they don't know how to go to confession. They repeat the same sins. I tend to do that myself. Sometimes I think I should use a voice disguise or something. But what would you tell these people about confession, how to approach it? Oh, um I have to admit, I've never been afraid of confession. Uh, in fact, I consider question, confession very consoling because I'm able to go and talk to Christ, to a human intermediary. I know he can't share what I say, and sometimes I get useful advice, sometimes maybe not so useful, but I have someone to whom I can reveal my conscience and receive absolution. The fact that you do these things often over and over again is no obstacle to confessing them over and over again because, uh, well, it's like the difference between a person who has a chronic disease and one which is a one-timer. Because people with a chronic disease, you know, they'll talk to their doctor about what their progress is during the week. It's kind of hard to get to see a doctor now. I live in Portland and in Oregon, and the last I got it took me three years to get to see my doctor online. 
but it's because of the shortage and uh, the, the so-called epidemics we're experiencing. But um, now uh, to say them over and over again is where you say you reveal where you need help from God in overcoming them. And so it's not meant to make you feel guilty. It's, make, it's meant to strengthen you in your inner intentions so that you can experience the love of Christ in a deeper way. So I would tell them they have to remember that God didn't make confession because he hated us. <laughs> he, he, didn't want us to, he didn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven. And so he created confession that we might have an aid more deeply to um, experiencing not only remorse of conscience, but also resolution of that so we can move on with life and be happy. The famous psychologist, psychiatrist, who was, I think, probably an atheist, Carl Jung said in the 19th century that Catholics had many less neurosis than Protestants because they had someone to whom they can talk to about their, their sins and difficulties. Now, of course, nobody goes to confession. We have just as many neurosis in a way as Protestants do. Also, a Catholic has the ability to manifest his conscience to someone, and he doesn't have to pay them anything. I mean, these people take 100 bucks an hour for what we do in confession. Because for some strange reason, uh, people, a lot of people need help now. So uh, I would say try to encourage people with the con consolation of confession that it's a result of divine love. And, and though it does involve judgment, yes, uh, it's not a divine tribunal for just sending us all to hell. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. If you call right now, we might still be able to get you on the air at 833-288-3986. Susan is in the great state of Michigan listening on Ave Maria Radio. Susan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, I have a question about uh, something that occurred uh, with my niece. She's the daughter of uh, my sister who has fallen away Catholic, and she belongs to, I don't know, some fun, a fundamental religion and spends a lot of time mocking and criticizing our Catholic faith. And I have a deep, deep respect and belief in the real presence of the Eucharist, and as it is. And anyway, my niece and her boyfriend attended Mass with us. They're Christian, but they don't hold any of our beliefs. And um, unbeknownst to me, when we went up for communion, she and her boyfriend thought it would be funny to get in line behind. And I didn't know that they were doing this. And to my horror, when I coming around, I saw that she was up there taking communion, kind of giggling about it. And I, I at the moment, I couldn't do anything. So I don't know what I should say or do. I mean, first of all, are there any spiritual consequences for her doing that? And second of all, I, I want to address it, but I don't want her to be, you know, turned off from our faith, our, our belief. So, well, as to the first one, uh, if if she meant to be sacrilegious, there'd be spiritual consequences. As it is, uh, it sounds to me like you have someone who is so superficial that 
I don't know, it can't be that consequential for them. And uh, they recognized what they were doing, yes. But I think from the idea of invincible ignorance, they're just silly. And uh, it's sad they chose to be silly about something so important. Um, what, what was the second part of your question? Like, how do I, what do I say to her? What, how oh, do I, how yeah. Well, if they ever decide to go with you to mass again, I would say, oh, I think it's wonderful you're coming, but you know, you really shouldn't have done that last time because you don't believe in it. And uh, you publicly express yourself as believing in it. And it's not good for you or for the church for you to be so cavalier in your attitude. Does that help, Susan? Yeah, a lot. Yes, because I'll see her this Christmas Eve, so I'm glad to have some words. <laughs> yeah, and if she, I'm sure she, she's a Bible believer to some degree if she's in this this uh, evangelical church, and I might point out to her uh, some of the letters of St. Paul and some of the references he made to the uh, ills that befell people who received the Eucharist unworthily. Huh? Unworthily, yeah. Well, as I say, I mean, it sounds to me like she's just they're just being silly people, and uh, they shouldn't be over such an important thing, but I don't know. I, I uh, despair of people and their depth today. So anyway, you know, they don't have any literature. The films are rotten. The books are rotten because nobody reads anything anymore, thinks about anything deeply or anything. So, but she needs to know that what she did was inappropriate at the big time. I've been, yes, but I mean, especially inappropriate. Well, Grace, my apologies, but we have run out of time on this edition of Open Line. Please stay warm up there in Montana with this cold temperatures. And uh, think kind thoughts about Father Milady and his 80-degree Los Angeles situation yes, tomorrow. Yes. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May all bless God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Ace McKay. And our social media maven, also Ace McKay. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. Until then, God bless. <laughs>